attention to Ephesians chapter number one. I'm going to be in verses three through 23 this morning. Ephesians chapter number one. Familiar passage, but a very fitting passage for us this morning. Let me know you have it by saying amen. Verse number three declares, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for an adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his, glo of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us uh, in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, of the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, just for a few moments this morning, I'm not going to hold you long. I want to preach from the subject title, Our Desire for Our City. Our Desire for Our City. Let me pray for us. Father, if you don't do anything else for us, God, you have truly done more than enough. God, you've saved us. But God, you've also called us. God, help us today to understand and see exactly what you're calling us to. God, help us to move past uh, Sunday morning attendance. God, but help us, God, to walk with you 
and to surrender every area of our life to you. God, I know that there are a lot of people who are here. God, but I pray, God, that every one of us will be in a position where we will be willing to hear from you. God, thank you, God, that your word is living and active. And I pray that you will speak to us powerfully. God, help us to not leave here the same way that we came. God, help us to hear clearly from you. It's in the strong name of Christ that I do pray and I do give thanks. Amen. Uh, There is a story told about a successful business publisher by the name of William Randolph Hearst. While Hearst was a very successful newspaper man, uh, he was most passionate about collecting art around the world. Uh, He was one who was wealthy, and he was one of those folks who had uh, money to waste, kind of like Brother Bob in the back. (laughs) One day, Hearst found a description of a piece of art that he decided that he had to have. Uh, He spent a couple of months searching for uh, the piece of art, and he made a decision that whatever it took, he was going to make sure that he found the piece of art. Um, After a couple of months, he was unsuccessful, so he made a decision. He said he would actually pay a broker whatever it would cost to find the piece of art. The broker set out to find it, and after a while, he was unsuccessful. And Mr. Hurst told him, he said, whatever it takes to get this piece of art, I'm willing to do it. I have got to have this particular piece of art. The broker said, okay. He went on and he said, I'm going to find the piece of art. And after a couple of more months, the broker called Mr. Hurst back and he says, thank goodness I have found what you have been searching for. Mr. Hurst was super excited. He says, where is it? He says, you are going to be Of 
So in verses 4 through 14, you have a, a divinely inspired run-on sentence that is proved by our teacher told us uh, to not have a run-on sentence again in church. You have a sentence where Paul specifically goes on and on about the Lord. He doesn't brag about his ministry. He doesn't brag about his ability. He brags. He focuses on what the Lord has done. He highlights all that Christ has accomplished on the cross. He begins by speaking about the benefits of what it means, the benefits of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. In verses 4, he says, God has Foundation of the earth, 
God made a decision, which means since God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, God made a decision to accept you knowing that you would fail. God made a decision to accept you knowing that you would make a mistake, knowing that you would get arrested, knowing that you would have uh, the bad decision. God loves us so much that he made a decision to accept us just how we are, even though he will never leave us how we are. When I think about God accepting us, it is a reminder to me as a pastor that when we preach and teach the gospel, we do not want to preach and teach performance Christianity. Do more, read more, pray more, come to church more, give more. That is not the gospel. When you think about the gospel of Jesus, Jesus is not waiting on you to impress him. If you've been here before, you've heard me say this many times. God is not waiting on you to impress him. But God desires that you trust him. If you think that you can impress God, you are fooling yourself because you are a sinner. But here's the truth. We can trust God because the more we trust God, the more it honors and celebrates what God has done for us. Verse 4, God chooses us. Verse 5, God adopts us. Verse 6, God accepts us. Then verse number 7, God redeems us and forgives us. It te- he tells us specifically that Christ paid the penalty and the payment uh, for our sin and the penalty uh, was paid in full. Well, I want to be clear. I don't want to glance over this. Anytime I get a chance to, to, to present the gospel, I'm going to do it. The, the reality is, is this. Because God loves us, God took a place on the cross that he did not deserve so that one day we could be in a place that we do not deserve. God, ex- God exchanges our place on the cross for a place in heaven. And that is the good news. Jesus not only forgives us, but he redeems us. He pays the penalty, even though you and I are never deserving of the penalty being paid. Verse, just in 10 verses, you see God chooses us, God adopts us, God accepts us, God redeems us. And then in verse number 13, it is a reminder of who God seals. When he says he seals us, it means that what God has accomplished through Jesus is eternally secure. What God has done on the cross cannot be lost. What God has done cannot be sent out of. You cannot send your way out of grace if you've truly been born again. Everything that we've spoken about thus far is connected to this small word, us. God chose us, accepted us, adopted us. God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. And when you hear that, the appropriate question that we should ask is, who is us? Who is the us in the text? Is it just the black folks or the white folks? Is it the church folks? Is it the rich folks? Is it the poor folks? Who is us? If you go over to verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul is essentially telling us after we hear the gospel, we are required to respond to the gospel. And when we, when we respond to the gospel, God places the Holy Spirit inside of us. 
when God places the Holy Spirit inside of us, the scriptures tell us that we are sealed for eternity. Catch the progression. We hear the gospel. We respond to the gospel. God places his spirit inside of us, and then we are sealed for eternity. I love the passage because it is a reminder that faith is birthed. Faith is birthed not when we step inside of a church building. Faith is birthed not when we get into the baptismal waters. Faith is not birthed uh, when we become a significant member of a church. But faith is birthed when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we had an evangelism class, and Jesse's not here. She gave a great illustration of what it means to place faith in Jesus. Um, she showed a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge, and she talked about how you can see the bridge, you can know the facts about the bridge, you can even um, experience a tour outside of the bridge. But she said faith in Christ is like walking on the bridge. That a lot of us who know about Jesus, who know the facts about Jesus, who've heard about Jesus, but we've never gotten to a place in our life where we have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus. Because Paul understood the gospel, because Paul understood the magnitude of what the Lord has to say, he says, yes, you and I are saved because of the gospel. Yes, you and I are redeemed because of the gospel. But he says, that is not enough for you to end right there. So many times we have gotten to a place to where we thought that the gospel is the end all, that the gospel is just for uh, a person who comes to faith. But here's the truth. The gospel is for every single believer. The gospel continues to fuel our life. The gospel must be something that we apply to every aspect of life. And if we do not understand the full magnitude of what God has done, we will miss the blessings and the benefits of what God has given us. A couple of years ago, CNN did a feature story on how millions of Americans have failed to claim life insurance payments. Uh, the last time uh, they checked, the number was over $58 billion. So there's $58 billion of unclaimed life insurance money. There's so much money out there that there's actually a, a politician in Illinois, who made a who made a decision uh, to introduce a bill to try to protect people who've not received their funds. He said that it is a travesty that all of this money is available and people have not taken full advantage of it. He said that there is too it is it is too much too many resources available for people for us to not try to get people the resources that they desperately need. When I read that story, it does remind me of what Paul is trying to accomplish here in the text. What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to say, hey, guys, there's, there's some things that the Lord has given us. There, there, there's some things that God has blessed us with. There's some things that the Lord wants you to experience. There's some things that God has allowed you uh, to, to experience. But here's the truth. If you never claim them, if you never experience them, then you will be missing out on your Christian life. When you look at the text, we've got to understand that to this point, we're not talking about a bigger car. 
We're not talking about a bigger house. We're not talking about a promotion or a job. We're talking about a life that honors the Lord. We're talking about a life that, 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 is, that is full of purpose and significance. We're talking about a life that, that makes, makes a difference here on the earth, but also makes a difference in eternity. So since Paul understood the blessings of what the Lord has given us, in verse 15, he begins to pray that the people fully experience everything that God has given them. That's my prayer for our city. I, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be 100% honest. What I care most about is not this church being a bigger church. What I care most about is this church having an impact on this community. What I care most about is the fact that, that God desires a relationship with people. Like some of us uh, have this question, uh, man, can I, can I really know God? Can I really have a relationship with God? Can I really have eternal life? And here's the truth. God wants you to know that you can know him, that you can live with him, that you can grow in your relationship. And as a church body, we desire for people to know Jesus, but we also desire for people to fully experience all of the blessings and the benefits that come along with having a relationship with Christ. We don't want to just make it to heaven. We don't want to just live in such a way where we come to church every Sunday, we check off the box, and we go home. But we desire for you to experience everything that the Lord has given you on this earth. So here in the text, Paul begins to pray. He prays for three significant things that we experience. And this is what we're going to pray for our community. Number one, when Paul prays, he prays, in verse 18, for the hope of, of his calling. Verse 18 says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. For us, hope is not something that is limited to heaven. Like hope for us is not this, this, this wishful thinking that when I die, God's going to receive me in a place called heaven. But hope for us is a calling on the earth. Uh, hope is a confident expectation of something or in someone. And when we say we have hope, we hope that Christ, we, we have a confident expectation that you and I can be like Christ on the earth. In the text, there's a reminder that you and I are called to be imitators of Christ. That says that you and I are called to a certain standard of living. Not preaching more performance, but I'm preaching that when you surrender your life to Jesus, you are called to be an imitator of God. We're so called to be a part of a community. We're not called to live a life of a lone ranger doing our own thing, but we are called to be a part of a body of believers. When Jesus uh, taught the disciples to pray, he taught them, uh, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He's teaching us to pray. God, we want this earth to be experienced. We want the earth to experience the rule and reign of Christ. So we are, we are called to expect uh, confidently that Christ will make a difference in our lives, but also that Christ will make a difference through our lives. The, the, the hope of this calling is not just for the preachers in the room. The hope of this calling is not for just who have titles in the church. But if you have a relationship with Christ, you have a calling on your life. Past couple of months, we've been preaching on discipleship. The idea that God called you 
to invest in others. 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things that you've heard in the presence of faithful witnesses, commit to faithful brothers and sisters who will be able to teach others also. You are called to make an impact in your life. There should be a confident expectation in your life that I'm going to make disciples. As a husband, there should be a confident expectation in my life that I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. There should be a confident expectation in my life that I'm going to disciple my children. There should be a confident expectation in my life that I'm going to love my neighbors. I'm going to serve my community. The, the, the hope that we have is not just for heaven. The hope that God has given us should be experienced here on the earth. So Paul begins to pray. He prays specifically, Lord, I want these people to know God's calling. Lord, I want people to know that God is active in their lives. Lord, I want people to know that, that ministry is not served for people who preach on Sunday, but ministry is, ser- is reserved for every single Christian. Lord, he, he's praying that, Lord, Lord, I want every Christian to know that they have gifts and talents and abilities that they can use for the building of God's kingdom. He's praying that, that, that we would all know and experience what God has called us to. And as a pastor, I love it that you're here. I love it that you're here on Sunday. I love the fact that we had to bring our chairs. What what I love more is when you leave out those doors and you live on mission. What I love more is that when when you recognize that you have been planted in a neighborhood or planted on a job or planted in a family uh, of people who need to hear the gospel. And and what I love about it is that, 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 that you can be far more effective in where you have been planted than I can. I love the fact that I'm not waiting on you to bring people to church. Yeah, I want you to bring people to church next week. But what I love more than you just bringing people to church is tomorrow, I hope that you go to work understanding and believing that God is expecting me to make an impact where I have been planted. Hope that you understand that those people who are giving you hell on your job, those people who, uh, who who are getting on your nerves, those are the people who Christ called you to love and care for the people who are hard to deal with, the people who are far from God. Like, I get excited about those people because it gives us an opportunity to see God work in our lives, but more importantly, it allows us to see God work through our lives. So when Paul prays, number one, he prays that we would know God's calling, but secondly, when he prays, he prays that we would know God's care. Verse 18 again says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, but secondly, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I want you to stop for a moment. Some of us have bought the lie that God is in heaven looking down at us, and when we sin, that when God looks at you, he's angry. I can't believe KG did that again. I can't believe Reggie did that again. I can't believe they messing up again. That's not how God looks at us. Is God grieved by our sin? Absolutely. But when Jesus looks upon your life, what he sees is forgiveness and grace. When Jesus looks at your life, what he sees is a great inheritance. If you take some time and reread the passage, it says the glorious inheritance in the saints. I want you to think about, just for a moment, what is the greatest inheritance that you could get? uh, That you could get? Would it be a million dollars? Would it be 
um, a new house, a new car. And just think for a moment, what would be the greatest thing that you would desire to receive in your inheritance? Okay? I want you to think about it this way. When God says, I want an inheritance, what God wants is you. What God desires, more so than houses and cars and money or your tithe or you come to church, what God desires most is you. You are the inheritance that God receives because you are God's prized possession. I think that if we took a moment to reflect on how much God values us, on how much God loves us, on how much God was willing to pay for our lives, it would totally transform how we see our lives. But also it would totally transform how we see other people's lives. For a lot of us, we struggle with doubt. We struggle with confidence because we just don't know how much God loves us. We struggle with just doubt and, and, and disillusionment because we just, we just have not accepted that God loves you so much and what you do when you sin does not change God's love for you. Yes, sin hinders our fellowship with God, but sin can never change your relationship with God in an amicable way. I, I love the, the, the principle here. When we see how much God cares for us, then we should also see how we should care for ourselves, but also it should challenge us to care for our neighbor. It should challenge us to care for those who are far from God, those who are, who are not in church, those who are, who are outside of what we would consider a healthy life. God desires them just as much as he desires us. And when God looks at my life, what he sees is he sees his son. And when somebody's not in a relationship with Christ, what he sees is someone who he desires to be his son or his daughter. Uh, I, I was wrestling with this this week because it, it really does challenge me to, to be more patient with people, to be more loving toward people, to be more affirming toward people. Because here, here's the truth. These are people for whom Christ died for. So I need to show them grace. So in our text, you have God's call. You have God's care, but lastly, we see God's commitment. Verse 19 says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of, in heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion, Above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This morning, we might be wondering, how committed is God to us? Like, how committed is God to in the text, it clearly tells us God the Father is as committed to you as he was committed to Christ when he raised him from the dead. When you look about what Christ experienced through the resurrection, he moved from death to life. He moved from people saying that he was, it was over, it was done with, but Christ was able to bring him back. Well, God was able to bring back Christ because he understood his plan for his life. When you 
think about that truth, Jesus is now seated in a place of authority above all um, that could come against him. And when I look at my life, it is a reminder that Satan will certainly come against me. Satan will certainly attack me. But here's the truth. Everything that Satan attacks me with is still under God's authority. I want to I want to make a very important point here. Y'all know I serve with football and all that. So I know y'all get tired of football illustration, but I want to give one tonight. <laughs> On a football field, the referee is never the strongest, certainly not the fastest, and not the most powerful person on the field, right? But when the referee's on the field, they have a different level of authority. When the referee throws the flag, the referee is able to, to exercise his authority over everything that is going on. The greatest thing about our relationship with Christ is this. Though Satan has power, Satan has real power to come against us. Satan is always going to be under God's authority. And though I, I could try in my best uh, to, to, to fight the enemy, I hear people preach, I'm taking back everything, everything the enemy stole from me. That's fine. Go ahead and do that. <laughs> but, but, but when I see the text, when I see what the text says, it reminds me that ultimately in my life as a believer, God has the authority to protect my life. God has the authority to cover my, my cover my life. Yes, I may experience some moments uh, that are tough. I may experience uh, some moments in my life where I want to give up. But here's the truth. Ultimately, because I am God's son, I'm under God's authority and I'm under God's covering. That's our desire for, for our city. We want our city to know God's heart. We want our city to know God's care. We want our city to know God's commitment. As a as I close, come on up, Chris. There are three specific points of application I have for y'all tonight. Number one, we've got to understand that true riches come from God. Everything that you need is found in Christ. Not that you want. Everything that you need is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it would be unfortunate if you and I live our life in such a way and, and, and looking and searching for that in everything and everywhere other than the place that we know we can find it. What you need in your life is found in Jesus. But secondly, all riches come but God's grace. Being here today is just a reminder that the Lord always gives us so much more than we deserve. But, but here's the truth. If it had been one person here, that would have been more than I deserve. The fact that the, fact that the moment I sinned, that Christ didn't send me to hell is more than I deserve. The fact that I have a family, the fact that I have a community of believers, these are all things that are the result of God's grace. And yes, there are things that we want. Yes, there are things that we're praying for, but we got to re be reminded daily that what the Lord has provided for us is more than we deserve. 
And then lastly, we need to be challenged not to waste the grace that God has given us. I want everybody to leave here today wrestling with, am I like Mr. Hurst? Am I living my life looking for something that God has already possessed, given me to possess? Am I living my life looking for something that the Lord has already given me through Jesus? I can't answer that for you. But I hope as you go back this week and read over the text, I hope that you see what the Lord is doing. I hope that you see that, that when we think about God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's adoption, God's acceptance, God's sealing us, God giving, giving us his spirit, I hope that we live in light of that truth. That's not just something that we talk about on Sunday, but it's something that we can experience in our lives. We can experience a life where we know that the Lord is present with us. I hope and pray that we don't leave here and forget about what the Lord has done. But I hope that we can take a few moments to reflect and wrestle with one of the things that I'm kind of glancing over. Maybe it was God waking me up this morning. Maybe it was that, that spouse that's getting on my nerves. Maybe it's those kids that are driving me crazy. Maybe it's that job that's paying my bills. Maybe it's that degree that I'm, I'm pursuing. Maybe it's that community that God has placed me in. Because I, I really believe if we just take a few moments and step away and recognize all that God has done, We'll have a totally different perspective on how we live. I'm so thankful to be able to just share what the Lord desires. Not what I desire, but what the Lord desires. Not just for Calvary and not just for Athens and not just for Georgia and not just for America, but what God desires for all people across the world. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you just for allowing us to spend time in your word. God, I pray that we would all leave here celebrating what you've already given us. Because I know I, I'm really bad with wanting more, wanting bigger, wanting better. God, but help us to move past looking forward that we would not feel guilty, God, but I pray that we would be motivated by your grace. God, I pray that we would daily see what you've done, and I pray, God, that that would truly move us to a place of wanting to do others, to wanting to serve others, God, wanting to love others, God, wanting uh, to operate like Paul, God, wanting to proclaim the goodness and the grace that's only found in Help that to be our desire. Not a bigger church, not a better church, but a more biblical understanding of what you call this church. God, I know that's a huge prayer. Way easy to pray for something tangible. God, but I want to pray for something that only you can give us. God, I pray, God, for this church.
be a blessing to this community. God, I pray specifically, God, that people who are unchurched, unsaved, undiscipled, God, will be impacted by this ministry. God, I pray, God, that you would raise up laborers here in our church. God, you tell us in your word that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God, so we're praying, God, that you would raise up laborers. God, we're praying, God, that people would move from death to life. God, we're praying, God, for families, God, to be strengthened. God, for marriages to be strengthened. God, for people who are not married, God, for them to know that you haven't forgotten about them, God, that they're not second-class Christians because they're not a, not a, a spouse. God, help us all to see, no matter where you are, where we are in our lives, God, that you are with us. God, that this would be a real family. God, I forgot that people, God, will feel your presence when they come into our church. God, they would not just come on Sunday, God, but I pray, God, that people, God, will find real community. That people will be able to link up on and hold each other accountable. God, that we will be able to, to serve those who are hurting. God, I even pray, God, for group of people who come here. God, I'm excited that we have black folks and white folks, God, but I know that there's a huge um, population of, of Latinos here in our city, God, those who don't even speak English. God, I pray, God, that you would bring them to your kingdom. God, I pray, God, that they would feel welcome here, God, that we would make accommodations to reach them, Lord. God, I pray even for our neighbors, God, who are members of other churches, God, I pray that we would not be desiring people to come to our building, God, but I pray that we would even encourage other believers here, God, to get more involved in the church, to be more connected to their body. God, we're praying this because, Lord, at the end of the day, God, we just want you to be pleased. God, help us to move past pleasing people, God, to please you. And God, help us to have enough boldness and enough confidence and enough commitment, Lord, God, that as long as you are pleased, God, help us to to be okay with that. God, help us to not be beholden to people, God, but help us to be surrendered to you. We love you. As we get ready to close and as we sing, Lord, I pray that you would allow us, God, to reflect.
to give us some divine appointments to connect us with people, Lord God, who need to hear what we've heard today. So help us not to just point the finger, God, but help us to come alongside people and help us to be patient enough.